If you could please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, starting in, uh, we'll be reading verses 18 to 26, but our focus will be on verses 21 to 24. So please join me as we hear God's word read in verses 18 to 26, but give special attention to verses 21 to 24. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be, be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Christ, our soul does long after you. And oh Christ, are you not present even now? We pray, Christ, that you would be with us, that you would create in us, Lord, a longing to be with you that more than gold or silver or all of this world, that we would desire to be with Christ. Oh, how little we desire you, Lord. Give us a burning desire for you. Oh, Christ. We ask this in your name. Amen. If I were to ask you this morning, what do you want? How would you answer? I think if we were standing on the outside, staring in through the window of your heart, maybe you would say, well, I want food or coffee. If we went into the front door, Maybe you would say, I want a better job, or I want to graduate college, or I want to be beautiful. Maybe if we sat in the living room couch, you would say, 
I want a spouse. Or I want this disease to go away. And if we made our room to the bedroom, made our way to the bedroom, maybe we would hear, I long to be happy. Or I want to be liked. Or I want to grow in Christ. But what if we went to the innermost closet of your heart and then we asked, what do you want? What would be the response? And this is actually where we find Paul this morning. He's welcoming, he's welcoming us into the deepest corridor of his heart. And if we asked him, Paul, what do you desire? What do you, what do you most deeply want? I think he would say, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. And that's what I want us to be able to say. I want us to be able to say in our hearts that above anything else that this world could offer, I want our hearts to be able to say, my desire is to be with Christ. And that's far better than anything this life could offer. So that's my hope this morning. And we'll look at it in Three points here. The first being Paul's desire. I think the first question is for Paul would be, where does this desire come from? Where does this desire to be with Christ come from? How does this desire generate in our hearts? I think if we look at verse 21, we kind of set the stage. It says, for to me... To live is Christ. So what in the world does that mean? For to me, to live is Christ. It's a difficult phrase. But I think we have some clues in other places. Listen closely to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 to 6. Paul says, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we're made alive together with Christ. We're seated with him in the heavenly places. Now here, Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, he says, you were also raised with him. God made, alive, God made us alive together with him. So in other words, when Paul says to live is Christ, he's not just saying a metaphor, like a poetic line. Paul isn't trying to express his emotions with words. He's not just throwing out this life slogan that his life is all about and it's meant to live for Christ. He's being literal here. 
This is a realistic description, a fact of the present. Paul is saying, my act of living, my actual life is joined with Christ who is seated in the heavenly places. He's saying, I live in the body, I live in the flesh, yes, but really, but truly for me, my life is in Christ. In other words, when you're united to Christ, your life is really with Christ right now. There has been a definitive transition in the actual life of every believer. A non-bodily, internal, invisible resurrection with Christ has already occurred with you, in you. There has already been a foretaste, the beginning portion of the bodily resurrection in you, but spiritually. This is fact. So when Paul says to live is Christ, he is saying his life really is with Christ and heaven. And that life, that life for me is life. Not my life in the body. We think our lives in the flesh is the real thing, the real, substantial, concrete, permanent, thick life. But really, it's not. Our life in the flesh is shadowy. It's provisional. It's temporary. It's insubstantial. It's withering grass. It's a copy, a replica Our lives with Christ in heaven is our true, substantial, permanent life. And this is so so significant for for us to understand because it means that while we live in the present world, in the flesh, we actually live with Christ in the heavenly places through the Spirit. So as a Christian, you live in two places. You have feet planted in two worlds. On the one hand, we live with Christ in heaven. This is why Paul says in chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. But on the other hand, we still live in the flesh. Listen to Paul here in Galatians 2.20. He says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Or Colossians 3, chapter 1 to 3, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So the idea is that while we live on earth in this finite fleshly existence, 
our life is truly with Christ, but it's hidden. It's hidden with Christ. It's invisible. It's a not yet manifested reality, but it's true. And I emphasize this because this explains why we desire to depart and be with Christ. Because that's where our home is. This isn't our home. This life in the flesh is not our permanent resting place. This is why in verse 23, Paul says, he uses that verb, right? Depart for death. He says, I desire to depart in verse 23 because he wants to depart this transitory, provisional camp life. He wants to depart to his permanent home with Christ. Having our lives with Christ in heaven right now creates a magnetic pull to him while we we live on earth. So just as the face of a flower is attracted to the sun, just as the tributaries of rivers are drawn to the ocean, our hearts are meant to be drawn to Christ. Meaning, the more we apprehend our life with Christ, the greater the sense of homesickness. There's this strange nostalgia for a place we've never seen. A deep-seated yearning to be at home with Christ. And when your deepest desire is to be with Christ in heaven, you will carry around with you an unfulfilled longing this world can never satisfy. We should have a sense of homesickness. The problem is making yourself at home with this world. That's the problem. To try to have our deepest desires met in this world. To become so cozy and gratified with what this world, the ephemeral attractions that this world could offer. To be too easily pleased, as C.S. Lewis would say, far too easily pleased with this world when we have a far greater treasure in heaven. The paradoxical thing is this. When we try to satisfy our desires of heaven with the things of this earth, it not only ruins our desire for heaven, It spoils our appetite for earth as well. When you make earth your final resting place, your final place of rest, your heart will always be restless. And strangely, when you you are actually homesick for heaven with Christ, you learn to enjoy the earth for what it is. 
I, I commute a lot, so I get to have the opportunity of listening to podcasts. And one I listen to is, by, is hosted by Kevin DeYoung. It's called Life, Books, and Everything. And on one episode, he's interviewing Tim Keller, if you ever heard of him, Timothy Keller. Um, he's an author and pastor located in New York. Um, and for two years, he's been living for two years after getting diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, a very serious cancer. So they asked Keller, how was he doing? I think his response was very probing. Listen to how he, how he responded to that question. In light of his pancreatic cancer, he said, Kathy and I have realized the cancer thing has really shaken us. She tends to attach her heart and get deep rest from places we've gone, like in South Carolina Beach or in England. I always rested, frankly, in ministry accomplishments and ministry goals. And we realize we have been resting our hearts in these things. The other night we said, we really tried to turn this world into heaven. We were trying to make a heaven out of the earth, and as a result of that, we were never happy. And what's happened with the cancer is that we realize we can't make a heaven out of this earth because it's going to be taken away from us. I've got to make heaven my heaven and God my heaven. And here's what's really weird. When you actually make heaven heaven, the joys of earth are more poignant than they used to be. That's what's so strange, he says. We enjoy our day more than we ever did. The more we make heaven into the real heaven, the more this world becomes something we actually are enjoying for its own sake, instead of trying to make it give us more than it really can. So oddly enough, we've never been happier. When we place our deepest desires on earth, we are making the earth do something it cannot do. To quote Lewis again, he said, aim at heaven and earth, and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you get neither. We need to be a people who have a desire for Christ in heaven. And really through that, we can enjoy earth, can't we? Well then, what happens when we desire Christ? Here's the second point, Paul's death. The first result is that death becomes a positive good for the Christian. Look at verse 21. He says, to die is gain. That's astounding. <laughs> That's astonishing. 
Well, I want you to first notice, Paul does not say death is gained because it's an escape from suffering. Paul is not fleeing a life of drudgery and misery. Paul does not have suicidal ideation. In fact, if you look at verse 29, just further down, Paul encourages the Philippians to suffer in this life. He says, it has been granted or literally graced to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So death is not gained primarily because it's an escape from suffering. That's not the reason death is gained. So neither is Paul saying death in itself is a good thing. Paul says the last enemy is death. He says the wages of sin is death. The one who has the power of death is the devil. So death in itself is not a good thing. It's not gain. So Paul is not here being an escapist who can't cope with the suffering of life. Neither is Paul glamorizing death as if he's some macabre, pessimistic individual dressed in all black. The only reason death is gain, the only reason, is because through this frigid river of death, he gains passage to more of Christ. That's the only reason. Death is gain only when we really desire to be with Christ. And this, assu- this assumes two things. Two things about death that we can consider. First, it's death cannot separate you from Christ. Death is the great separator. It separates rich men from their money and property. It separates beautiful women from their youth and clothing. It separates the adventurer from travel, the foodie from gourmet cuisine, the politician from power. It separates husbands from wives, children from their parents, Even our own souls and spirits are separated from our bodies. Death is a razor blade that separates us from all things. Dying is the most loneliest thing that could happen to you. And yet, what does Paul say in Romans? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Whether we are alive or whether we die, we are Lord's. Death cannot separate you from Christ. Secondly, fellowship with Christ 
Fellowship with Christ is intensified after death. So not only do we continue in life with Christ after death, we enter more fully into the presence of Christ. Theologians call this the intermediate state because it's after we die, but it's before the bodily resurrection. It's intermediate. In some way, our lives with Christ doesn't just continue. Our lives with Christ are actually enriched or increased after we die. So much so that Paul calls it an an improvement. He calls it gain. Because we get to see Christ face to face. No longer by faith. We live our entire lives talking about Christ by faith. But we get to see him with sight. The same Christ we worship. The one who in Gethsemane faced the raw holiness of God and who saw the sword of God hang over him. Who would become what Luther said, the greatest sinner that ever was. Who was truly abandoned from God the Father. And when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was no answer. There was no grace shown to him. Christ. He he was separated from God in his death so that we wouldn't be separated in our death. This very same Christ who's present with us right now, this very same Christ who saw after you and your failings and your addictions and your backslidings and your hard-heartedness, who bottled every tear, who recorded every moment of anguish, who knows you by your name, who tells you he loves you, who rejoices over you in gladness, who never leaves you, who has never left you, who never lied to you, who who has always encouraged you. The same Christ who opens up the innermost closet of his heart. And in John 17, he says, Father, I desire that they may also, those whom you've given me, I desire that they may be with me where I am. Christ desires to be with us. Death is gain, not just for us, but in a way for Christ because then he will have the desire of his heart. He will have you. He wants you to be with him. Death is gain. Lastly then, consider Paul's dilemma here. If we desire to be with Christ in heaven... What does that mean for our life here in the flesh? 
There's an idea where having a hope that is too heavenly causes you to not be of any earthly good. Um, that we can be so consumed with heaven and with Christ that we become indifferent to the concerns of this earth. But notice, how does Paul see life in the flesh in verses 22 to 23? He says, if I am, a, if I am to live in the flesh, that means what? Fruitful labor. Fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. So far from cultivating this life of ascetic monasticism, this ivory tower contemplation, this actually tends to a life of fruitful labor. In fact, Paul saw his life of ministry in the flesh so valuable that he could not choose between his pastoral ministry and his desire to be with Christ. They were in competition. He felt hard-pressed between the two. It was like a tug-of-war contest in his heart. The fruitful labor was so valuable to Paul that it became a dilemma. So far from producing a life of inactivity, Paul's desire for Christ meant fruitful labor. So then how does that work? How does our desire for Christ lead to a life of fruitful labor? How does that work? Well, look at verse 24. We have, I think, kind of a clue. Since Paul's desire was for Christ, he is able to say in verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So Paul no longer lived in the flesh for himself. The entirety of his life in the flesh was for the sake of others. Why? When our treasure is not with Christ in heaven, we feverishly hoard pleasures of this world to ourselves. We become selfishly anxious to gather all we can today. When our desire is not raised to a higher plane, if our desires is not for Christ in heaven, then we will say to remain in the flesh is necessary from my account. We will say to live is the flesh and death is loss. Apart from a desire of, for Christ, we live for the pleasures of this life only. Consider what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 32. He says, let us eat and drink. If, the res if there is no resurrection, he says, let us eat and drink. Let us maximize our gratification here today. Let us live for the pleasures of this life only. Why? For, he says, tomorrow we die. Apart from a desire beyond this life, we do all we can in our bucket list culture to live for my sake. We eat and drink for us. We travel around the world for us. We accumulate friends around us. Apart from a desire from Christ, we, be, we become like little gremlins, clutching life so tightly, so tightly that we can't offer it to God. We have this kind of 
We, have, we become too arthritic to open it up, as, to give it to God as a living sacrifice. We have this kind of carpal tunnel syndrome, which can't open it. We clutch it too tightly. We can't open it to give it to others. But when we desire something this life cannot provide, something beyond this earth, we no longer ultimately desire what this life can give us, whatever it is, prosperity, health, beauty, whatever joy. And when we no longer desire what this life can give, we are no longer afraid of losing it. And our grip is loosened. And we can hold this life with an open hand as a gift. We can give it to others. When our hearts are bound to Christ in heaven, we are freed to give this life to others on earth. Let me quote C.S. Lewis one more time. He says, A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean we, live, we leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who made the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. And well, that's my hope for this morning, is that we would so desire to depart and be with Christ that we would be occupied with heaven and that that would free us to give our lives to others and that we can face death more joyful about gaining Christ than sorrowful about losing what we have on earth. I pray that we would desire Christ more than anything. And that we wouldn't try to make this earth into heaven, but really keep heaven as heaven. Let's pray. Christ in heaven, we do desire you more than anything, more than silver and gold. Help us, Lord, to have our compass set upon you that we will not pitch our tents in vanity fair but keep our eyes set on the celestial city
Oh God, give us a desire for Christ. Increase our heart for him. Make us a people who are heavenly minded that we may be of earthly good. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.